HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Kane5.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Eating Matters, where we talk about the policy issues that shape our collective experiences of growing, buying, and eating food. We're broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, on Heritage Radio Network, and I am your host, Kim Kessler, with the Resnick Program for Food Law and Policy at UCLA School of Law. Today, we're talking about the connections between food, health, and insurance providers, and joining me later will be David Flemister and Carly Bird of Emblem Health a health insurer and wellness company, to talk about their work in this area. But we're going to start today's show with the Policy Roundtable, where we get behind some recent food headlines and make sense of the news. Joining me for that are Kathy Nonis, a senior advisor with the New York City Department of Health, Dennis Stearns, a founding partner of Marler Clark, a leading food safety law firm, and Sam Wiseman, assistant professor of Florida State University College of Law. Hi to all of you. Hello. Nice to have you. Hi, Ken. Hi. So this was a big week for government investment in local and regional food systems, and particularly the USDA announced some major grants for several programs supporting local and regional, including farmer's market programs. But I wanted to talk with you about uh, an issue that comes up at farmer's markets sometimes, specifically a new law that was passed in California to prevent farmer's market fraud. So, Sam, you have written and researched about the topic of farmer's market fraud, and I wanted to ask you first, what is that, and how does the new law that California passed work? Sure. So, first, in discussing farmer's markets, it's important to note that not all markets are producer-only. And markets allowing resellers can be a very good thing. They can provide access to fresh food to underserved communities. They can allow uh, a supplement uh, to uh, uh, local to the local offerings, uh, and I think that's great as long as uh, the labels are clear. Uh, today, though, and specifically with respect to the law in California, we're talking about producer-only markets, uh, where the uh, the vendors should be selling only the food that they've grown themselves. Right, and in California, uh, 
they have a certification program uh, for these producer-only markets. So to give a little bit of background on the new law, uh, in California and nationally, as you and I'm, I'm sure your listeners know, uh, growth, uh, the great amount of growth in, the, uh, in interest in local food has led to an explosion in farmers' markets, right? And they have become a, a billion-dollar industry in the last few years. Uh, but this growth and uh, interest in local food also creates the incentives for fraud. If consumers are willing to pay more for local food, dishonest vendors can make a profit by selling uh, produce wholesale, excuse me, by buying produce wholesale and passing it off uh, to consumers as local. So this type of fraud... Sam, what you're saying is that some markets uh, are called farmer's markets and they mean, they just really mean produce market. And if that's clear to consumers, that's one thing. But specifically at some markets, it's supposed to be farmer sold by the farmers that grew it. And this is where this issue can come up? Absolutely. Okay, great. Uh, so when you, do have, uh, when you do have a particular vendor or an entire market, uh, that is, uh, that is labeled as uh, being in, uh, from a particular farmer, from uh, farmers only, right? then, uh, then fraud, uh, so the selling of, of produce that not grown by the vendor, uh, hurts consumers, obviously, who don't uh, get what they pay for, uh, but it also hurts the honest producers who suffer from being undercut by the fraudsters and by the loss of public confidence in farmers' markets when the fraud is discovered. Right? And it can be difficult for consumers to detect the fraud, of course, because a local carrot and a foreign carrot often look a lot alike. And it's difficult for market officials and inspectors uh, to discover because uh, uncovering this kind of fraud uh, can require uh, visiting farms to figure out not just what's being grown, uh, but how much. Okay, so uh, coming back to California then, uh, in 2010, a local Los Angeles uh, television affiliate discovered uh, in an undercover investigation of fraud at some of the local farmers markets that garnered a lot of attention and it led to uh, calls for reform. Uh, the uh, political process being what it is, it took a few years of trying, uh, but now a, a bill has indeed passed. So, uh, to hit some of the highlights of this new uh, new bill, AB 1871, one thing it will do is increase uh, increase the fees paid by market organizers. Uh, from $0.60 cents, uh, per vendor to $2 per vendor per day. So currently only farmers pay the fee. Next year it will extend uh, to all vendors, including uh, you know, food and craft sellers in non-agricultural areas. Uh, so the, the, this is expected to raise more than a, a million dollars in new revenues, uh, which will be used, uh, among other things, for hiring new state inspectors right, to, uh, to uncover fraud and to reimburse counties for their fraud uh, investigative work. Um, additionally, growers will be required to post conspicuous signs showing the, the name and location of their farms, and uh, it has to say something along the lines of, we grow what we sell, right? So there's more uh, transparency for consumers about what's intended to be being sold at the market. But I want to uh, focus on one thing that you said about the expose that was done in, farm, in uh, California, which should get a lot of attention, because I think the landscape there is quite different than a lot of us are familiar with, where this is an issue that people haven't encountered so much, and and also um, in other states possibly. And certainly here in New York City, um, we have very rigorous activities undertaken by uh, our farmers market operators to prevent a lot of this. So I I don't want to leave the impression that this is um, that this is a huge issue at, at many markets. Is there any any data uh, that 
that indicates how serious of an issue this is? Well, so uh, first I should say that I, um, I absolutely agree that I, I think you know, the vast majority of, uh, of sellers at farmers markets are honest. Um, and you know, I, I certainly wouldn't want to be uh, uh, understood as uh, su- uh, suggesting otherwise. Um, with respect to your, you know, the question about data, it's a difficult area to get uh, meaningful statistical evidence. Um, you know, in California, we have, uh, you know, we have some, uh, we have some statistics in the form of uh, citations issued by uh, the Department of Agriculture. There have been a few. Uh, you know, a, a few criminal prosecutions, um, but for the most part, uh, in California and around the country, the evidence is anecdotal. And to the people that say, "Well, people are selling vegetables; isn't that a good thing?" You know, what what's really at stake um, in preserving the integrity of farmers' market? Dennis, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the word integrity is the exact right word because what drives has driven the farmers' market phenomenon is precisely sort of that need and desire in people to have a face-to-face relationship with the, the people who are growing their food. I mean, it's very much relational, that the knowledge that the food is not just being grown locally, but being grown by the person who is, like, standing right in front of you. When I go to my farmer's market in Port, in Port Townsend, you know, I buy my radishes, which I buy almost every week from the exact same person who knows, you know, knows me and I know them, and it's Red Dog Farms. And uh, that's very much important to me. I mean, and, and so it, it, when the risk of that goes away, the very essence of what makes a farmer's market unique and valuable to most people, I think, goes away. So I think protecting the integrity of farmer's market means protecting the authenticity of that relationship. So a, a plug for a Seattle-based farm there uh, with Red Dog Farms, right? Uh, oh, in, in Port Townsend, yeah. actually, which is <laughs> oh, okay. just outside of... Okay, okay, great. Um, Well, thank you for that. I want to turn to another topic uh, related to kids and nutrition. There was a flurry of discussion this week, uh, or or over the last couple of weeks, after the Girl Scouts of America announced that they were teaming up with Nesquik to make new drinks based on Girl Scout cookie flavors, um, which, of course, will be irresistible to many people, given Girl Scout cookie delicious flavors. Kathy, kids' nutrition is an area that you've worked extensively in, and I, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Well, what can I say? When will adults learn? I mean, all over the country, we're trying to reduce junk food fundraisers, and here the Girl Scouts, and, and also, by the way, Sunny Delight, are, are doing exactly the opposite. So the Girl Scouts, which are literally trying to grow girls into healthy young women, are actually marketing bad health. Uh, it's it's amazing to me now. Now you can literally eat your cookies with milk and even more cookies. But, so, but, but let me ask because the you know this I think the Girl Scouts could say well this is a special treat just like cookies and let's be honest in a lot of school lunch programs we have chocolate milk and is that really that different from these Nesquik juice drinks not juice drinks milk drinks. So I I think that they are and I think that. Firstly, uh, the the um, Girl Scouts make a lot of money from Nesquik's, right? So they're going to push this and sell this door-to-door like they do their cookies. Um, and it would be nice, by the way, if they sold, if they have to sell food, that they sell healthier food, but 
that's another topic. And secondly, um, chocolate milk, you know, again, all over the country, we are trying to um, get rid of chocolate milk in the schools. Um, there's a lot of data to show when you don't have it in the schools that kids still drink a lot of milk. Uh, and when do we start getting them used to added sugar in milk? If milk is good, we certainly don't put it in a bottle. So we don't want to um, get kids used to chocolate milk in any given time, and then we don't want to add to it cookie flavors on top of the chocolate. Um, it's really time that we adults really get with the program and start making sure that our kids uh, grow up healthier, so body and mind. This One of the things that, I mean, this comes up again and again with efforts to get junk foods out of kids' activities and the tension between that and fundraising activities. And part of it is that everyone takes the position that it's a special treat when they're selling candy for their sports thing and the Girl Scouts are selling it for something else. And so then you end up with actually what can be a lot of unhealthy stuff coming kids' way. Um, but I wanted to get your, your, your closing thoughts on, you know, what are some ways of dealing with that issue? Because organizations and schools do rely on that funding, or that's what they would say. They do rely on that funding, and we want to foster that, uh, you know, funding, but not necessarily funding using food, which is typical and easy, but not necessarily the most effective uh, in New York City. And also, again, in areas across the country, there are non-food fundraising books for high schools and elementary schools that have shown a tremendous amount of success, as well as wonderful opportunities to use food in uh, far from farmers, for instance, to sell and have CSAs in your, in your school, et cetera. So there's lots of opportunities. It's just that it's different. And doing something different is sometimes hard, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't keep trying. Yeah, I can't remember where I read this, but I read someone saying, well, what they should sell is uh, energy, low energy light bulbs. <laughs> um, but we'll have to leave it there. <laughs> I'd buy some. Yeah, we'll have to leave it there for today. So I want to thank you all for your contributions. And we're going to take a short break and be back with a conversation from one with one insurance company and their changing approach to community health. Listening to Gluten Free Us by the Spiral Jetty Club. This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery, calling in from Spring Mountain above the Nampa Valley. In our industrial world, most wines have become brands. 
but the wines I love are so much more. Fine wine is a civilizing substance that connects us to nature. It cannot be stamped out in a factory. If you're listening to this great show, you probably eat different. I urge you to drink different too. Go deeper. Cane5.com Welcome back, everyone. I am pleased to have in the studio with me David Flemister and Carly Bird, who are with one of New York State's major health insurers, Emblem Health. David is the Director of Brand Strategy and Community Marketing, and Carly works with David as Manager of Community Marketing Strategy and Operations. And I also have to mention that Carly is a former food policy intern of mine in the mayor's office, so I I proudly introduce her. (laughs) It's great to have you both here in the studio with me. Thanks, Kim. Thank you, Kim. So before we dive into hearing about your work and its connections to food, can you provide some general background on Emblem Health and its role here in New York State, in New York City? Sure, sure. For over 75 years, Emblem Health has been playing a major role in the um, insurance of, of New Yorkers, insuring New Yorkers. They, um, most people formerly know us as, as HIP or GHI, and uh, a few years back we took on the name of Emblem Health. And um, in the past, we spent most of our time um, being a B2B company, and most recently, we've shifted our focus to be much more um, business-to-consumer. And And B2B, business-to-business. Yes, business-to-business, and now we're business-to-consumer. So with that, we've changed or evolved some of the things that we used to do, where we've always provided programs um, via uh, the companies. um, Telephonically, we had diet um, and and health-related programming for people, but it was really more tele- telephonically, or we never really were interfacing with with people day to day. Now we're doing much more of that, so we've shifted our focus. And thus, I guess your area of community marketing. Sure. Um, so I want to mention the James Beard Food Conference is coming up later this month, and the topic for that conference is health and food is better food the prescription for healthier America. And I'll be moderating a panel at that conference where your colleague, Dr. Eliza Eng, who's the vice president of clinical affairs at Emblem, is going to participate, and she's going to be talking about some of Emblem's initiatives that relate to that topic of food and health and food as a prescription for healthier America. So I think it's really interesting to have you here as insurance providers and um, making that connection. Can you talk about how you came to that and, and how that's manifested in your work? Sure. <clears throat> there are a few things that have gone on. You know, as Dr. Liza Eng is, is focused on a lot of uh, clinical programs to help um, prevent uh, obesity in the neighborhoods. There's a lot of uh, obesity, hypertension, a lot of illnesses that are affecting New Yorkers. And one of the things we're trying to do is, you know, there's the clinical portion, but there's also other things that we can do to help um, New Yorkers lead healthier lives. So one of the things we realized that we could do is be more, uh, be closer to to, uh, all of our neighbors. So we started putting up brick-and-mortar facilities in their neighborhood. It's called Emblem Health Neighborhood Care. And amongst many other benefits, people can come in and have face-to-face conversations about um, their health and well-being, and we can give them tips on how they can lead healthier lives. Uh, in addition to that, we've started developing a lot of, to, to your point earlier, community marketing programs that we can put into the communities that um, allow us to be a resource to uh, all New Yorkers and uh, helping them take small steps to leading healthier, uh, living their lives healthier. And I know you did something innovative for the first time this summer with the, I think it's called the Local Fruits and Vegetables Program. So, mm-hmm. Carly, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. 
Um, so David just touched on a few things that we do in the community. Um, this is the first foray into actually um, turning a program um, that connects our members to food um, into a value-added benefit that's part of one of our products. Um, it's called the Local Fruits and Veggies Program, as you said, and um, it arose out of existing um, support that we already provided for farmers markets. And what we did is we said, hey, there's this Health Bucks program. In fact, Kathy Nones, who was just on the phone earlier, um, was a huge part of developing the Health Bucks program at the Department of Health and Mental Hygiene in New York City. And Health Bucks uh, provides funding to people when they spend their SNAP benefits at farmers markets. Exactly. They're coupons. They're worth $2. You get them if you use your SNAP benefits at farmers markets, but they can also be distributed um, en masse through organizations. So we um, had the idea of saying, all right, let's take a bunch of these health bucks and let's use them as an incentive and give them to our members. Um, in return, we wanted our members to engage with us with well, the wellness activities that we offer through neighborhood care. So we structured a program that um, is in its pilot phase, and we offer it only to our exchange membership, and that means the members that enroll through the New York State of Health through the exchanges. And we give them $30 a month in health bucks, only redeemable at farmer's markets, um, for four months, and we ask them to complete their PCP annual exam. And primary care. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I sometimes get lost in the jargon of healthcare. Um, so their primary care checkup, um, their free preventive visit, that is, and um, two additional wellness activities that they can complete at neighborhood care, a free Zumba class. Um, we have a lot of other classes, um, dining diversities for people with diabetes, um, eat for health, and a lot of other meditation-type classes that are good for overall well-being. So when I think of an insurance company, and, and certainly... I mean, I think of a process, essentially, and getting reimbursed for healthcare. Not, not really a guiding force in my overall wellness. How, how is it that, you know, how do you see that role for Emblem, and how did you come to that? It's very interesting, because a few, um, about a year ago, we started shifting how we saw ourselves. And instead of saying we're a health insurance company, we, we realized that the first step in um, being a neighborhood resource and, and being... Um, helping people to stay healthy, get well, and live better is to kind of change your internal uh, mantra. So we actually started focusing um, and calling ourselves a neighborhood health and wellness company that happens to sell insurance. And that really changed the mindset of everyone around us. And um, from marketing to sales, um, just having that, um, you know, the other part of it is we have this advertising slogan, what care feels like. We started to um, realize as we were doing all these things in the neighborhood, as we were um, being innovative with, with uh, programs and, and um, the brick-and-mortar locations of neighborhood care, it's like, you know what? What care feels like is not just a tagline. It really is kind of our, our mantra. It's, a, it's part of our DNA. And what, who have been important partners? And when you say that and getting into neighborhoods and working with farmers markets um, and the, the participation of the New York City Department of Health to some extent in your program, you know, who, who are the partners and how do you find them and how do you figure out what makes sense? I'll start with uh, to name a few, and uh, I, I'll be honest, we couldn't be successful in anything we do with, without them um, because we partnered with a lot of community-based organizations, uh, some in every single neighborhood, I'd say dozens to even um, several dozens now we're continuing to expand but a few in terms of the uh, green markets have been Harvest Home and Grow NYC they've been instrumental in, uh, in us being able to provide um, fresh fruits and vegetables to food deserts throughout New York 
So, yeah. Carl, you want to continue? Um, sure. Um, you may have heard of the Teen Battle Chef program. Um, we also have a partnership with Teen Battle Chef, and um, we go into schools and support the curriculum to teach kids how to cook healthy, healthfully, and then that ends in, after, I think, about 12 weeks um, with the cooking um, uh cooking battle off (laughs) an iron chef type of thing for the students um we also have what's called the live healthy program and david alluded to this a little bit before um we actually provide grants to community-based organizations in um queens brooklyn and upper manhattan and in parts of lower manhattan to put on free exercise and nutrition classes free and open to the public um, so this isn't just for our members. This is for the community at large, um, and they're, they're administered through existing organizations that have at their core mission the health of the community. So like David said, we, we partner with these organizations where we can align on similar goals, and, um, but we kind of give them the autonomy to run the programs the way that they normally would run the programs and reach their, their broad constituencies. And we've even expanded beyond just the community-based organizations to some um, faith-based organizations. So we have a sister talk program where we um, do a 12-week program to help people find their right weight because not everyone wants to be a size two, but it's a matter of coming together and having a, you know, having a a faith-based um, uh, women's usually it's a. Uh, women's health ministries uh, in the churches coming together and, and counseling each other on how they can um, become their right weight. So is this, in terms of your, it's part of your marketing strategy, Does it? Is that what it's really about? Are there other aspects of your overall mission that, you've, that this aligns with? It actually just makes really good business sense. If you think about it, the healthier people are, whether they are members or not, the, the better it is for us. Because if they're a current member, great. <laughs> if they're not a current member, they may become one. I would echo that. I think that um, the insurance industry is a stakeholder um, in uh, getting every everyone's health up to par. We have a lot of diet-related diseases, as you mentioned, um, and I think that um, an insurance company can play a role in the community and, and helping chip away at some of those um, skyrocketing rates of obesity and diabetes. Yeah, well, and, especially like just Carly just mentioned, it's key to say we need to focus on preventable diseases. That's really something we need to uh, want to focus right, on. Right, where there's so much growth and particularly in diet-related disease. And um, to, to what you were saying, you know, with if this is a, a goal for Emblem to reach into community health, how do you deal with how many people are able to reach these programs and, you know, what, what are your thoughts about how this will evolve over the next 10, where do you see this going over the next 10 years or so? I think um, we want to continue to expand. I mean, we can't reach everyone yet, but um, we're doing a fairly good job reaching a, a number of the neighborhoods throughout New York, and all we can do is hope to um, do more and more, uh, make this completely scalable, and at some point turn it to, uh, I think what uh, Dr. Liza Eng's going to speak about, is figuring out a way to make it, um, to test it clinically so we can actually see changes in people's, um, whether changes in people's dietary habits actually lead to healthier um, neighborhoods throughout New York, because that's only what we want. And that's something that you have um, a, a way of evaluating? Not yet, but I think that's where we want to get to. So how can we you know, capture what people's health, um, let's say if we had a health index, what their health index is now, and compare it to what it is you know, three months, six months, nine months, five years from now? Right. I would add to that, too, um, you know, the community work that we do, definitely it's hard to measure things um, on that level. 
local fruits and veggies program, we are doing an evaluation. Um, we don't have data yet, but we do know that 75% um, of the people that enrolled in the program visited a neighborhood care for the first time. Um, and we had an um, overwhelming response rate for a direct marketing piece. We only sent a mailer out, and we got about um, 350 people enrolling, mm -hmm. and that's about a 10% um, response rate, which is great. Um, so people do want their local they, fruits and vegetables. They do. And, <laughs> and I think, you know, every time they come in, we ask them questions about their shopping habits. And we're also able to look at their data um, and see if there are changes. Like their health data. Their health yeah. bi like biometric. Type and of. their utilization of health services, whether or not this program actually results in higher PCP pi primary care visits and mm -hmm. potentially enrollment in other types of programming. Um, these programs can be a conduit to be, become aware of what else um, your insurance plan may offer you. And does the Affordable Care Act change any of this or have an impact on any of this? So we talked about this at length, and um, what we kind of came to is the, the Affordable Care Act um, strengthens the opportunity, um, but didn't necessarily drive it. I think um, as an insurance company, company, Emblem has always been in the neighborhood, has always been a community player, but this shift in the size of the individual market as a result of expansion of Medicaid in New York, not every state, but in New York in particular, and the opening of the exchanges, which created an opportunity for about 8 million pe more people to enroll in, in health care last year and about 800,000 in New York City, in New York State alone. So that is a huge market for an insurance company, and that's a big opportunity to, as David mentioned earlier, move from a more business-to-business -business environment to a more business-to-consumer environment and do things differently and think about you know, the health and wellness of the consumer and providing a more holistic approach as a differentiator in that market. And, so the, and the one thing we know is that we can't change uh, all of New York and make it healthier uh, tomorrow. But we can do it one small step at a time, and that's mm -hmm. why we want to take this whole positioning of being the official sponsor of Small Steps to Living Healthier, just so we can, you know, whether it be uh, fitness, teaching people to eat right, giving them cooking demonstrations, providing them access to fresh fruits and vegetables, these are small things that we can do to help. Mm -hmm. And when you're having a more of a direct interface with consumers, you're kind of in there with the medical provider and have a chance to provide information. Influencing information is what I'm hearing from mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. So before we wrap up, I actually want to hear from you. I think it's interesting for maybe people who are interested in food policy, you know, to think about what are the different paths you can take, um, and to, to think of being insurance providers and working on farmers market programs or farmers market outreach um, is is probably something that young people might not might not have thought about as a career path. So I'm just interested in your own thoughts on. Your, your own personal ideas, like what is health and how, do, how can you think about going in different career paths? I, I actually, and now I'm talking too much, but I get a lot of people who are interested in food policy and I always say, think, think broadly because food touches everything. So yeah. sort of, you know, your own career experience and, and why this is important to you. Well, Kim, you've been with me throughout this <laughs> process so, um, and, and also an influencer. Um, I think, you know, I was always interested in food policy myself personally, but I saw the healthcare um, sector, the private sector in particular, as playing a huge role in changing the way you think about health. And um, as David mentioned earlier, it's good business to keep people healthy. And part of keeping people healthy, and this is, you know, in part because of the food movement that's going on um, right now and your, your show covers, um, integrating healthy food, local food, and um, that 
space into the healthcare world a little bit more. Um, and I, I think that those worlds are going to continue to combi- um, come together. And I saw that happening, which is why, you know, as a, someone who came from more of a food policy background, decided to work for a health insurance company. Great. I'm a little different. I, um, <laughs> I grew up with a household of half vegetarians. I have, uh, my sister, my brother, and uh, mom were all vegetarians, and my father, my <laughs> other sister, and I were not. But uh, my mother wasn't cooking two meals. We could do a whole show on that. <laughs> <laughs> True that. But, um, you know, she wasn't cooking two meals, so I got exposed to lots of fruit, fresh fruits and vegetables, and it's always been um, – eating right has always been a part of, of my life, and um, I like to um, play a lot of sports, be active, so I want to put good things in my body. Great. So I want to thank you both for joining today. It's uh, really, and all of our guests, I think that's going to bring us to a close to this episode of reading of eating matters. And, and thank you all for listening um, to heritage radio network. Thanks for listening to this program on heritage radio network.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.